0: Hi, everybody welcome to history respawn i'm your host bob whittaker on today's episode we'll be discussing upcoming episodes of the show uh, as well as the latest news in history gaming uh, and on today's episode i'm joined as always by my co-host john harney john how are you i'm doing really well bob how are you i'm doing pretty good thank you very much especially <laughs> considering the circumstances of the uh, pandemic uh, and then some uh, crazy weather We've been having over the course of the past couple of months here in Texas. Um, The weather's been so crazy. We had the uh, obviously the blizzard uh, last month uh, where we were stuck at home without power or water uh, for a week. Uh, And then this month we've had a string of spring storms uh, with a lot of tornado warnings. And it's gotten so bad uh, that my son now likes to impersonate big storms uh, when he's (laughs) playing with my daughter. Uh, And so he'll, Uh, say I'm big storm and he'll go around the house going rumble, rumble, rumble. And then when he, he'll he'll make lightning noises and then he'll stomp his feet around. So, you know, it's great. The kids are
1: getting real up close. Look at uh, climate change. (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty wild. I I wouldn't have thought of that, (laughs) especially in Texas. It's supposed to like, I thought there was an agreement when God created Texas. He promised you guys the heat will be vicious, but otherwise I'll leave you alone. That's what I thought was going to happen.
0: I thought so too, but uh, times change, (laughs) apparently. Um, So I wanted to begin this episode by talking about a new limited series that we're going to be doing here on History Respond, uh, both in podcast form and in video form. And the uh, new series is called Civs 101. uh, And as you could probably guess, it relates to Sid Meier's Civilization Series, uh, which is going to be celebrating its 30th anniversary uh, in September, uh, as far as I can tell, the game came out originally on PC in September 1991. Uh, so it seemed like a good excuse uh, to have uh, a series uh, for History Respawn about this uh, uh, game and about Civ Six in particular. Uh, And as you probably know, if you're a Civilization fan, which how could you not be uh, if you're listening to the show, uh, the last bit of new content for Civilization VI came out uh, on the 25th of March. And so that kind of wraps things up with Civ VI. Uh, They had the latest uh, update and the New Frontier series. I think the last Civ was Portugal uh, bringing up the rear. Uh, And so it seemed like a good time to talk about the Civilization series in general, but then also to talk about, you know, what Civ Six looks like now that all of that development is finished. And I am working on a research project about Sid Meier and about the Civilization series, so this kind of also ticks a box for me in wanting to study this series a bit more. And then, you know, kind of have some contributions from other historians uh, looking at this series. Uh, so as the name Civs 101 suggests, uh, we are going to be looking uh, at the leaders and civs uh, in Civilization VI. Uh, so for each episode of this series, I'm going to have on a guest historian uh, who is going to tackle one of these leaders slash civs. Uh, so I've already recorded a couple of episodes. Uh, we've had uh, kate cook on to discuss uh, the greece uh, the greek uh, leaders uh, pericles and gorgo uh, which is a, a big change uh, over the course of the civilization series usually it's alexander the great uh, but now he's macedon so i'm gonna have to find a macedonian history <laughs> uh, that'll be interesting uh and then uh, i uh, recorded an episode uh, with robert green uh, who's uh, as you probably know been on previous episodes of the show for Wolfenstein, The New Colossus uh, in Bioshock. And I had him on to talk about America, uh, which is always one of my favorite civilizations uh, to discuss because it's uh, such an anachronism to have uh, Teddy Roosevelt back in the ancient era and thinking about Americans wearing togas and sandals. Uh, That always gives me a good laugh. Uh, And so the idea is basically to have these historians on, uh, having them look at the presentation of these civilizations in this game, uh, thinking about the uh, leaders uh, and how they represent the civilizations that they purport to lead uh, in Civ 6, and then also kind of asking these scholars about their personal experience with the Civilization series, either on their own or through interactions with students uh, who play these uh, these titles. And uh, you know, along the way, we'll do some other episodes looking at other elements of the civilization series uh, maybe going back and looking at uh, prior titles i'm really eager in fact to to get back into looking at civ 3 i don't have much of a memory of that game unfortunately it's probably because i just started undergrad and i was drinking too much at the time <laughs> um and then we'll have a look at sid meyer's memoir uh which as many of you know came out in the fall of last year uh and then uh, hopefully uh, we'll take a look at some of the new uh, challengers uh, to uh, civilizations for uh, x throne, uh, including uh, Old World uh, and Humankind. And unfortunately, Humankind was just delayed into August, but uh, we'll still have some time, I think, uh, to uh, to get to Humankind before the series ends. And, uh, it's, is a series that we're hoping, you know, to do most of the civs and leaders, uh, from Civ 6, even though there are dozens of them, I'm hoping, you know, maybe to do about a dozen episodes, uh, and each episode will be, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, so shorter than our typical episode. So that's the plan. And, uh, I have, uh, of course, checked all of this with my colleague, John Harney. Uh, he had <laughs> some input on the name, uh, and I completely, uh, ignored his advice and went with my gut. And so, John, any lasting thoughts on the idea behind this series or mm-hmm. on the future plans for it?
1: I think the system of ignoring me uh, has a long track record of success behind it. So I think that's good. <laughs> I support that. Um, uh, no, I mean, I love it. I'm excited about this. And, you know, one of the things that occurs to me, Bob, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. We go now and look at the YouTube channel these days and it's just so fantastic at like you know you kind of chip away and you try and put an episode out a month and sometimes you you kind of struggle to do that and sometimes three episodes go out in a month and you just do these things and now you know you can look back on five plus years right and the youtube channel is fantastic you know and i think i think of the civs and that the civ series is going to be like that too one of the things i like about this idea that you had is kind of conceiving it as a series and is this kind of contained thing and it's just that that's going to be a great thing and a great thing to share with people when the anniversary comes around, really, and people start running stories about civilization and stuff, we can share it with people. And then maybe for you and me and other people who work in education, this could be really, really useful. I'm even thinking for world history, um, you know, just to just keep to throw something at people to let them kind of get get deeper into it, because that's a challenging thing always with content. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of yeah. doing it. I'm daunted on your behalf, on our behalf. It's going to be fun.
0: Well, we'll see how far it goes. Uh, My goal is to have a couple of episodes per month. Uh, We'll see if I can stick to that. Uh, But I am making the series, each episode, shorter. So I'm hoping that'll make the video editing easier, the audio editing easier. And then also I I wanted to keep it shorter uh, per episode for the reasons you suggest of maybe having this being used by uh, teachers. Uh, you You know, say, hey, we don't have to do a whole episode on the entirety of civilization, which, I mean, would take many many episodes many many hour and a half long episodes and so instead we'll do it in these bite sized chunks and you can come at the game uh and the legacy of the series from many different directions and i think another thing that i really like about this idea other than the fact that i came up with it uh was uh, this idea of including a lot of different scholars in the series um and i'm hoping to include uh series regulars you know like robert green uh, Kate Cook, uh, uh, we might have an episode, perhaps with John Harney, uh, on China, uh, but then also to include some new scholars uh, that we haven't uh, had on previous episodes of History Response. So I'm looking forward to it, and I hope it. I hope people respond to it, and I hope uh, we
1: get some uh, good feedback. I'm I'm excited. No, I think it's going to be good. I think any kind of I think one of the struggles any YouTube channel has or any kind of project has is like the structure stuff. So this kind of becomes... This is one of these things that I can now very wisely on the podcast say, I mean, this is obviously a slam dunk, but like many good ideas, it wasn't a slam dunk until you thought of it, Bob. So I'm excited. I think people are going to like this. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, John, are there any episodes
0: of Civs 101 that you're hoping to do yourself? We haven't talked about this yet. And so I'm kind of popping this in terms, question. In terms right of now. hosting
1: and things like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm just uh, curious. Yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, obviously given your field, I would expect you would be interested in appearing as a guest on the China yeah, episode, Certainly, um, you know, maybe running the Japan episode as well, but I'm curious, are there any other sieves that maybe you're interested in, in terms of your own kind of historical study, your own research, or just a sieve that you're learning, that you'll want to learn more about because you, you like to play as that sieve?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would think, um, Japan is kind of an obvious one as well. The Ottomans actually kind of jump out in a way, you know, the Ottoman empire is these, this is a group I've been talking about in world history for 10 years. And I don't know a lot about, you know, other, you know, other, (laughs) you know, like in world history, we talk a lot about, Oh, well, you know, the Ottomans, um, uh, you know, they tried to modernize and and they didn't. And the West believed this was because their system was flawed, but that's not actually true. That's not what historians think anymore um and here's a reading you know and i don't mean to belittle global history but there's a limit to what you can do and so that's kind of an exciting idea because so much of the ottomans and i do know a little bit of the ottomans um you know this is a society that's kind of coded in a very military way right you're either you're either kind of military and producing something for the government or you're a source of revenue you're a taxpayer there's all these Mm -hmm. ways the ottomans kind of thought about the military and in a game the civ games one of the knocks against them Although I, I, we all love Civ games, one of the knocks against them is you end up kind of funneling yourself into this conqueror die type mentality. So yeah. that's an kind of intriguing thing, I think, for all the civilizations. And I mean, at the risk of being desperately stereotypical in terms of my interests in kind of East Asia and Asia more broadly, India is another one. Like I play, I play India quite a lot, and India is the classic, right? The, the nuke loving lunatic Gandhi, <laughs> um, which I think is an urban myth, actually.
0: It is. But
1: yeah, yeah, which is such a bummer. Um, I choose to decide it actually happened that Gandhi liked nuking people. Um, But even then, like you, you point out like, like who is the civ going to be? So like, you know, Mahatma Gandhi versus, you know, Indira Gandhi, or, you know, these are very different takes or Nehru or so on who you want to kind of focus on.
0: Yeah. And I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that for the, the China episode, uh, which, you know, of course, recently had moved away. Uh, from Mao Zedong as the leader and you know what does that say about how the game is marketing yeah. itself what does that say about our perspective on Chinese history I'm, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that but we'll save that uh for yes. the episode um we gotta gotta keep them wanting more
1: uh, as they say <laughs> yeah, exactly. in the business
0: uh, so those uh episodes should begin to appear uh, next month I've got uh, two that are already recorded I've got a couple more that are scheduled uh, next month and then um, I'm still working on a uh, schedule for May so uh, maybe I'll force John to do the episode in May uh, once we're free and clear of all this uh, awful academic and administrative work uh, which of course is a lie but we we like to tell ourselves that <laughs> when we're academics here in the states we're on the semester sim- semester system it's like yeah in May I'll have all the time in the world it'll be fine
1: <laughs> um- <laughs> there is, there's typically a four-day window that you just get to spend entirely on. Um- Guilt and anxiety, which is good. It's useful <laughs> over the work you should be doing. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's every day <laughs> for me.
0: So, uh, okay. Well, let's move on to talking about some recent news uh, in uh, history games. And I did want to uh, point out before we begin that John has started uh, a new a series of articles, weekly articles on the History Respond website, uh, historyrespond.com, uh, called uh, History and Games This Week. So this is a new series of articles, uh, otherwise known as a column, uh, in which uh, John is going through and kind of providing uh, some interesting tidbits, some recent news uh, related to history and games. And uh, when John started the series, I immediately thought, okay, well, is there really going to be enough news each week? And it seems to me that actually, John, you've had to leave things out uh, each week when talking about news and history games.
1: No, it's true. And it's kind of funny. You know, we had we had done something a little bit like this in a previous iteration of the website, and we decided to bring it back. And things like this are kind of tricky in the sense of like, what can be done quickly? And so the initial appeal was it won't take long. I'll just grab some links I see on Twitter and other places during the week and I'll share them. And it's not quite that simple because, as you say, there's a lot going on, which is fantastic. Um, and it's nice as well, because I think there, there's various stuff out there, like I've name dropped them a couple of times now, but like the Value Foundation have their own newsletter mm-hmm. um, on interactive pasts that comes out every Monday, which is also which is excellent. It's actually kind of more fully involved than what I do. But yeah, week to week, there's just so much uh, there's so much stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I I can never tell, like, has the historical content, for lack of a better term, increased or are we getting better at kind of noticing it and covering it? I think, I think it might be both, honestly. Yeah,
0: I think so. And, but I would say, you know, and I've done presentations on this recently. I think uh, history games have just grown in, uh, in terms of sales and in terms of mm-hmm. uh, interaction with players. And so, uh, it's a it's a big field. That's a big market. And uh, kind of going along those lines, uh, Activision, uh, mm-hmm. the publishers of Call of Duty, uh, we've learned this week that uh, they are. Planning a new uh, World War II uh, Call of Duty entry uh, that should be out later this year, uh, late 2021. So uh, this is a news that came out, I think, originally from Eurogamer. I've got Eurogamer's story uh, up here, uh, and they've uh, verified this information with their sources. Uh, and so this new game uh, should be a somewhat of a follow-up. Uh, to 2017's uh, World War II, or WW2, as it was called, Call of Duty World War II. Uh, and so, what's interesting about this, and there's been some kind of conflicting reports about this, you know, uh, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but there's some people saying that this is going to be an uh, <clears throat> alternative timeline game uh, set in the Second World War uh, and imagining an alternative history. Uh, where 1945 wasn't the end of World War II, and it could actually be a World War II game that's set in the 1950s. Um, so Eurogamer kind of questions this idea. Uh, they think it's going to be a more traditional World War II setting. Uh, but I'm wondering, John, what do you think? Uh, let's take these two issues separately. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the idea of Call of Duty going back to World War II? And then what do you think about the potential idea of an alternative history Call of Duty game set in the early 1950s?
1: Um, Well, I think the first point is kind of an interesting one as well. You know, we were just talking about historical content in games and so on increasing. Like one of the reasons that's happening is because, you know, Call of Duty, which is this, you know, inevitable, irresistible force, even as like an economic product, more, you know, as much as it's a work of art. And you know what I mean? Like, they're going to come out. It's going to happen. You will play one, or at least, you know, you theorize, you'll know yeah. someone who plays one. Death, so- Texas, and Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Madden, and, you know, Madden football. Right. And, and to go back to that kind of well um, is, is a big part of that, that reason. Well, I know because you had, you had really mixed feelings, didn't you, about the last attempt to do it? Now, I didn't play it, so I kind of watched your video and watched some other videos. And I, I kind of was in a similar camp to you, but you, you, you were kind of frustrated by the last time they did this. So, like, you can refresh, remind people maybe a kind of a key point or two of what you didn't like. But, like, I mean, do you see them doing better? Kind of throw it back at you or or to do it differently? Let's let's say it that way.
0: I, I think there's a good chance that it will be different this time. And I'm not saying that that'll necessarily be a good thing uh, or or necessarily a bad thing. But I do think it'll be different. I think in the last game, it was a very... It was almost like a remake of the original three Call of Duty games in the sense that it follows the story of an American regiment, American platoon on the Western Front shortly after the D Day landings going through to the end of the war, which is a story that many games have told and Call of Duty as a series has told many, many, many times before. Now, what, the reason why I think it'll be different is because they've now done that remake, right? And I thought of Call of Duty World War II as a remake of the original kind of first few Call of Duty games. And so now I imagine they're going to want to tell a different story, a different perspective. And I think, you know, when I look back on World War II, there's a couple of interesting things, uh, a couple of interesting directions that I think they might go. So the first thing is that, the original Call of Duty series, uh, the ones that came out in the early 2000s, those were kind of remarkable in the sense they presented uh, multiple perspectives on the war. So you had uh, levels where you played as uh, Russian troops, you had levels where you played as British troops, French troops, uh, and American troops. Uh, so Call of Duty World War II that came out in 2017, it was only the American perspective. So I would, I would guess, if they were kind of going back to the well, they might do different perspectives on the war. The second thing is that Call of Duty World War II was really interesting because it ended in uh, a very odd way for Call of Duty series. A very interesting way. Uh, it ended. Uh, last mission was in a concentration camp, uh, or you know, it was uh, at least uh, intended to be a concentration camp, or at least that was the idea. So, I'm wondering if there's an a world in which they might go back to that well in which they would deal with some of these more difficult topics related to the second world war. Now there's plenty of reasons to say, well, uh, call of Duty: world war II, back in 2017, didn't do enough along those lines to earn any credit, which I can accept that criticism. But at the same time, um, you know, how many World War II games can you mention off the top of your head that even bring up the idea of the Holocaust or the idea of these labor camps? Um, it's not many. I think mm-hmm. you can count them on one hand, uh, actually. And to see that kind of work in a huge AAA title, right—the biggest game, one of the biggest games of 2017—that's pretty remarkable. So, I would say when I'm looking at the the upcoming game. You know, just thinking about it, if it is like a straight World War II history, I'm hoping that it includes different perspectives on the Second World War. And I'm hoping that it kind of follows along the lines of the ending of World War II, which I thought went in a uh, an interesting and, I would say, kind of brave direction for Activision.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's interesting. I mean, the Holocaust and, and the camps more broadly or more narrowly, I suppose, are really interesting because i think there's still an active debate as to whether or not video games for example should try to depict something like that and the challenges that are in there but i also i personally feel and it's probably not shocking people listen to the podcast to, to know I feel this way i think we're past that now i think that games whether it's at the more kind of indie small team level or the blockbuster level ga- games are doing these things you know, games are exploring these themes and I think games are often doing it very well. You know, like a game like Spiritfarer last year, which had a lot of impact. On, I think a lot of people who played it in terms of how it talks about grief and everything else. In addition, you know, and the experience players have playing games are like players have these deeply emotional reactions, sometimes to games that aren't, you know, are not stressing that angle. So I think that that's kind of happening already. And so I would certainly echo your feelings on that. I'm intrigued. I hope Eurogamer is wrong uh, in the extent that I would love it to be alternate history because I'm a sucker for that anyway. And this is officially me grasping at ridiculous straws. But the 1950s thing, that's what kind of jumps out at me. Because, you know, the, the, the I guess the biggest splash made by an alternate history World War II game in the last five years is the Wolfenstein series or the, the revitalization of the Wolfenstein series. And they do something which happens a lot in alternate history of Nazism, which is it jumps to the 60s. And That happens a lot, like the the fatherland novel that was a big deal, you know, 30 years ago, which is basically a detective story, happens to be set in the in a Nazi world. Um, the man in the High Castle television show and the novel on which it's based, they're they kind of jump to the 60s. And one of the reasons they do that is so the, the Nazis have built this world, they promised they would, and everything else. But it also kind of theoretically gets you out of the exact sticky kind of things you were just talking about. So in the 1950s, what does that mean? So you know did the Nazis win it at a canter, or is it kind of a devastated Europe where the Nazis hung on somehow? Um, doesn't mean the Nazis won either. Like there's lots of kind of interesting kind of questions that are there. Um, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about Europe. What about Japan? You know, like yeah. well, like what happens there? What if it's literally um there were no nukes or something something yeah. relatively yeah. subtle like that? Yeah. Um, that become that interests me. So again, I'm probably you know hoping for I'm reading too much into literally one date <laughs> in, in a source that Eurogamer, which is very reliable, is reluctant to kind of go with, but that would intrigue me not making that jump into the sixties would, would really open some interesting doors. I think.
0: Yeah. And I think it uh, it tells us a lot because this Eurogamer article, uh, it talks about returning to world war II, but it sets it kind of like you were just discussing. It sets it almost automatically in kind of a European theater, right? That's the assumption mm-hmm. that a lot of this article is making but why not the Pacific Mm -hmm. theater, right? Why not Asia, right? Um, They've done that before, right? Uh, uh, Call of Duty, I think it was World at War uh, was set primarily uh, in Asia. So, um, you know, that's a uh, perspective that we haven't seen in a long time. One that we haven't seen in games for a long time, especially AAA games. So that would be really intriguing. And then, you know, with that alternative history setting, I think you're absolutely right. It would be great to see the late 40s, early 50s uh, and maybe, and I'm not necessarily saying they're going to do this, but, you know, maybe we would see something like Call of Duty um, Red Alert, right? Uh, kind of harkening mm-hmm. back to the way that the uh, Command & Conquer series imagined a world in which uh, Germany was uh, one of the members of the Allied Nations going up against the Soviet Union, right? Um, now, of right. course, there's all sorts of fantastical elements with Red Alert and Red Alert 2 that we don't need to go into. Uh <laughs> but uh, that I think that is uh that could be fertile ground uh for an alternative history setting. And one that I think, you know, hasn't been seen very much uh since mm-hmm. uh Red Alert and Red Alert 2. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be kind of curious to see a, a new update on that kind of idea.
1: And we could be, you know, we could be boring historians about it as well and kind of point out like this whole alternative history thing. I mean. That's what the allies were doing in 44 and 45. I mean, Roosevelt, before he died, like Roosevelt had this, there's this hope on the American side that, quote unquote, free China, as it was known, this is pre-communist China, would, you know, remain an ally after the war. And, for example, could could take on that. The French would leave Vietnam and the Chinese would take Vietnam on in a kind of a trustee type situation that China becomes the big partner in East Asia. of course, it ends up being Japan um for a lot of reasons not least of which the successful communist revolution in china but they were figuring this stuff out or they are hoping for things and so there's even things there where you could go back to something that roosevelt said or they were talking about like in the nsc in dc or that they were talking about in london and just imagine if they'd been right or if their hopes had been delivered or whatever the case might be um so yeah so it's exciting i can't say i'm a call of duty person most of the time um but you know i think they've been doing interesting things i think they deserve credit for trying different things with that franchise they could just literally put out you know gun game every year and i, th- I think they i think they do a, and they're doing a bit more than that i think they deserve i think so credit. Too. you know i
0: think so too i think uh i think much of the criticism is valid uh, but i would also say that they've done things that you wouldn't have expected um, in especially with their most recent world war ii title which you know, again, is the uh, same sort of perspective you would expect, uh, same sort of gameplay of left trigger, right trigger, over and over and over again. Uh, but then at the mm-hmm. same time, includes at least some subtle reference to the Holocaust, which is very much lacking in most uh, World War II games. So uh, interesting yeah. things there. Another bit of news uh, that came out recently uh, was we had uh, news from, get the developer's name here. Uh, M2H uh, and Black Mill Games, and they are the creators of the so-called Verdun series. I don't know if that's how they refer to it, Uh, but Verdun is the uh, kind of uh, first-person shooter, uh, squad-based game uh, that uh, came out, I think, in 2014. Uh, They had an update, uh, a new game a couple years ago uh, on the eastern front of the First World War called Tannenberg. Uh, And now, Uh, they've announced uh, a new game uh, that is going to be set in the Italian Alps uh, during the First World War called Zonzo. Uh, And I'm I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, uh, I am no help.
1: I'm sorry. I think (laughs) This Italian
0: Italian front game, uh, I would assume, is going to feature a lot of uh, fighting between the Austrian army and the Italian army uh, during the First World War. Uh, And by the looks of the early footage, it's also going to include... Uh, some fighting occurring in uh, towns uh, and including buildings and some verticality, which is a new feature for the series. Uh, you know, I played both for Dunn and Tannenberg. And uh, both those games are traditionally kind of set out in fields uh, in uh, First World War, either Western Front or Eastern Front and lots of trenches, et cetera. Uh, but this game looks like it's got some verticality to it. You've got uh, obviously fighting in the Alps. Uh, so you've got uh, kind of uh, mountain fortifications that you've got to overcome. Uh, but then the early footage shows uh, fighting in towns, which I think would be a really interesting development gameplay wise uh, with this series, which is one that, uh, again, you know, you wouldn't say it's an absolutely historically accurate portrayal of World War I fighting, but it does lean more closely. Uh, to kind of tactical restrictions uh, brought on by the First World War. Uh, and it is the type of game where you're not kind of racking up huge kill streaks. Instead, you're kind of designed mm-hmm. to be killed quite often and based on the tactical limitations uh, in realities of the time. So uh, really interesting. Uh, you know, it's obviously a good sign to see that this um, uh, this series of World War One games uh, has been successful, right? I don't imagine they'd come out with a third game unless it was doing pretty well. Uh, and in terms of gameplay, I think this series offers up something pretty unique. Uh, you know, when you compare it to Call of Duty, when you compare it to Battlefield, uh, it is very much its own thing. And so I think uh, obviously great for historians like us to discuss, uh, but then also great, I think as players
1: uh, to have a, kind of a different multiplayer experience yeah and to change it up as well from um you know world war one wasn't just guys in trenches on the french and german border kind of thing and this is much more in your wheelhouse than my wheelhouse bob in terms of world war one being understood as and chris kemshaw a friend of the show as they say would be the person exact person to talk about this um the actual global context of world war one um i'm just continuously kind of wowed by you know, Verdun is one of these games, like I, I've tried it in class, like let's jump in and see. And it's been useful in class to kind of, it has a certain element of fidelity fidelity, or it's a very interesting example of how the developers chose to portray trenches, for example. But you can't really like play it the way that you can like colonization or something. Um, and my experiences with uh, Verdun are like, I can't really do this, but thankfully it's sustaining enough of a community online to stay alive. There's a whole There's a whole world of these team shooters out there. That yeah. people play mm-hmm. and i'm delighted I'm de- so i think i think they found their people and i'm delighted they did because it allows us to come in now and again and talk about it and, and then let them do their thing but i agree the asanza thing is just re- kind of really i'm just fascinated we know so little about it but even just that little bit of like oh like alpine combat whatever that is yeah. like you say maybe a bit of verticality and um honestly even the color palette being a little bit different yeah. you know is, is kind of intriguing to me so it, it's exciting yeah, and World War One games, man, they're they're a thing I now.
0: I asked I asked Chris Kempshaw, friend of the show, on Twitter whether there was now too many First <laughs> World War games. Uh, he didn't seem to agree, but I, I'll uh, we'll get into that hopefully when we do an episode <laughs> on this game. And it looks like the game right now is intended to be released this year, uh, so by the end of 2021, we'll see uh, mm. with the pandemic uh, if that's actually the case. And uh, obviously. Uh, as you listeners probably know, uh, there was big news with uh, Humankind uh, kind of upcoming uh, 4X game, which uh, was supposed to come out uh, next month in April, uh, but has now been pushed back uh, largely because of um, you know, development problems related to the pandemic it has now been pushed back into August. And they give a, a firm date here of August 17th uh, for the release of the game. So uh, that's disappointing, but probably uh, to be expected, given everything that we've gone through uh, as a society, as a worldwide (laughs) society uh, in the past year.
1: It's hard to know. I always wonder with these bigger games, because there tends to be delays happen with these big games anyway. Um, So partly wonders that, but, you know, a lot of people are talking about, and I think convincingly so, that if anything, the larger teams might be struggling more than the smaller teams. And and some people talk about, well, you know, some smaller teams are remote already, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, as we all we've all everyone, people listening have experienced in the last year. You can move three or four people and it's not fun, but you can figure stuff out. But any, I think you get you get past the four or five person market, it's hard. And you know, and especially, you know, humankind and similar games have pretty significant technical debt in those projects. You know, like you can't just download a Git repo and go to work on your Surface Pro or something which is not meant to be a diss of a surface pro, but you know what I mean? to say. <laughs> I, uh, surface pro is a wonderful machine, but like these kind of, these big kind of uh, these big uh, engines, big game engines and everything. And sometimes they have bespoke engines they made themselves and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so not surprised, definitely disappointed. I'm really excited about humankind. I mean, I amplitude, I have liked everything they've done. I think I've liked everything they've done. Like the, the, the even the stuff I haven't played as much I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. I must find time. And then I, I don't because we have kids and everything else. But I'm really excited. Um, and, you know, we're, we might talk, you know, talking about Old World, for example, which will come up in the Civs 101 series later on. It's just kind of an interesting place because it's always been hard for there to be. I guess there's always been Civ likes to an extent, but humankind feels like it's trying to do a bit more than that. Um, if anything be a bit more like Civ than other games to throw on an extra layer of gameplay but then do its own thing so i'm curious um my anticipation will extend i guess uh but you know it'll come I, i'm i'm still I'm, I'm so excited though i'm so excited I'm, i just hope the delay i hope the same issues that cause the delay don't don't affect their product that's where my heart goes out yeah. to all these developers because at the best of times, I feel like, especially in the, the higher up you go in terms of scale, the tougher it gets, but you've got this balancing act between the artistic and the technical and the practical and everything else. And um, so fingers crossed that, that this works out for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: definitely a game I was looking
0: forward to as well. I assumed that I would be playing it throughout the summer. And so mm-hmm. now it's, you know, it is disappointing to know that it's not coming out until the end of summer, but you know, at the same time, Uh, You know, you hope that this gives the developers more breathing room, gives them a chance to uh, maybe not work so hard, not crunch, obviously, on these type of titles and, uh, you know, produce a game that's uh, really top class. And I think that's our big hope is, you know, to have as many good history games as possible, Um, you know, whether that is uh, old standbys like Civilization or, you know, these new challengers like Old World and Humankind. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's still really exciting, even though the excitement has been delayed uh, just a bit. Um, so uh, I thought we would end today uh, by talking about uh, what we've been playing recently. And John, I know you've got to go uh, pretty soon, mm-hmm. so I'll let you go first. And I'm wondering, you know, in all the work and administrative work that you've been doing, <laughs> do you have time to play games? Uh, oh God, if not so, really. what have you been playing? <laughs>
1: I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have time. I kind of was making time for a while. So hilariously, I have three, actually, somehow. Don't ask me how. Um, I've played a bunch of this game, Suzerain, or Suzerain. I'm not, am I pronouncing it correctly? I'm not sure. Um, which I bought with the intention of covering for History Respond. And I kind of stalled on that because I wasn't sure how to make a video out of it. Which isn't as. It's a beautiful game. It's actually a beautiful looking game. It might be one of the best text adventure games I've ever played, which is part of the problems with putting on video. So for people who don't know, um, you are, you effectively, you you play this kind of extended kind of character building, like mini adventure, text adventure, where you're literally choosing between choices to become the ruler of a small, what is effectively maybe a Balkan kind of analog state or a Central East European analog type state in a kind of a, you know mid 20th century kind of maybe immediately post ottoman empire type kind of phase so you can be socialist or you can be much more kind of capitalist and you can decide how to deal with your neighbors and all this kind of stuff and it's done exceptionally exceptionally well and i do recommend it and i hope i can figure out a way to talk about it or get someone in to talk about it and it's just a beautiful little game it's it's i usually don't like games that are effectively board games made digital i'm not someone who enjoys that but this is, this is a bit like that, but in a, in a really good way. Um, I've played a bunch of Loop Hero, mm. along with the rest of the internet. Um, <laughs> Loop Hero is good. Uh, it gives off these fantastic retro vibes in a way that kind of makes sense. Um, it's kind of a weird little grindy game. I really don't agree with people who talk about it being an idle game or pseudo-idle game. I don't find that at all. In fact, I have the opposite problem with, with uh, Loop Hero which is it becomes extremely, extremely demanding of my time. Um, and in the speaking about Civ earlier in the podcast, I, I go extended periods uh, of playing loop hero before I realize that's what actually happened. So so speaking of games, <laughs> my, my wife was on the couch at 915 wondering where the hell I am. And it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to beat this this loop loop hero. <laughs> and then uh, and then finally um, I bought my first Nintendo Switch game in a long time. I bought a Monster Hunter Rise. Oh, wow. And I was yeah. very surprised at myself that I bought it. And I'm here to tell anyone listening who thinks they might want to play a Monster Hunter game but never has that Rise might be the one for you. I'm actually playing it and it works and I enjoy it um, a lot. And then I'll nerd out for a second. I've always found Monster Hunter interesting because it kind of it's got this weird anime vibe that a lot of Japanese games have. But it also celebrates this kind of strange, like, pre-samurai, you know, in quotes, ethnic kind of reading of kind of an islander identity that is totally part of the Japanese cultural makeup, but doesn't show up in games that much. Like, you'll see samurai in games a lot, and you'll see kind of a post-World War II identity, you see this whole anime anime, kawaii kind of thing. Um, But Monster Hunter kind of celebrates this notion of, like, almost like the hunter-gathering Japanese that lived for thousands of years before there was ever a samurai. And so I kind of get a kick out of that. So um, I don't know. I don't know if I can turn that into a request for switch capturing software for one History Respond episode, but you never know. <laughs> I'll write to the NEH and see what they tell me. That's what I'll do.
0: <laughs> well, we'll see uh, what uh, <laughs> this new Civs 101 series does for our Patreon. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. we can freeze right. some cash. Uh, and what about for... you, Bob?
1: What have you been playing?
0: Yeah. So just briefly, um, I started uh, Watch Dogs Legion uh, a couple of nights ago. This is the. Uh, third Watch Dogs game from Ubisoft uh, set in uh, Britain, uh, and it's in the midst of kind of the usual uh, cyber CTOS surveillance state thing. Uh, so I've only played about an hour of that. I've uh, liked what I've played so far, but you know, hopefully I'll be able to do something History Respawn related with that. I, I've been wanting to do an episode on the history of uh, CCTV uh, in Britain. And I've got a couple of good scholars for that. So I thought this might be a good excuse to do that. Uh, And then on Nintendo Switch, I've been playing uh, Bowser's Fury uh, with my six-year-old daughter. And so for those of you who don't know, Bowser's Fury is a new Mario game. uh, that came out a couple of months ago. uh, And in this one, you are playing kind of the first iteration of an open-world Mario game uh, in the sense that uh, all of the territories are kind of laid out uh, gradually kind of Grand Theft Auto style. And your goal is to go to each one of these little islands uh, and, you know, collect stars. Uh, I think they're called cat shines uh, in this game. And it's got this interesting dynamic where Bowser shows up periodically throughout the game as this kind of uh, kaiju, angry kaiju version of himself. Uh, And then uh, during the course of the game, you can, as Mario, turn into uh, a upgraded kaiju cat uh, that is portrayed as Mario as in a lion suit. Uh, and so my kids absolutely love that. But I would say, as far as co-op is concerned, uh, the game has you playing as uh, Mario, but then the second player can play as Bowser Jr., uh, who is helping Mario with uh, Bowser's Fury. And I would say that it's been frustrating so far for my daughter. She uh, is pretty good, pretty adept uh, at games uh, like uh Uh, Yoshi's crafted world, she's getting better at things like Lego games, for instance, but Mario is still just a little bit too hard. There's a little bit too much management of the camera that has to go into it. And it's not just jumping. It's not just throwing fireballs. It's also managing your perspective at all times, which is really tough uh, for her. Uh, And then the last big thing that I played, and I ended up spending quite a few hours in, uh, was Days Gone. Uh, which is an open-world survival horror game uh, published originally on PS4, but I played it on uh, PS5 uh, with backwards compatibility. And this is a game that got a lot of negative press. uh, When it first came out, kind of middling reviews, but also a lot of negative press because one particular line in the dialogue, uh, a female character uh, in the midst of a, a biker wedding says, you know, I want you, Uh, to ride me or promise to ride me as much as you ride your bike, right? So one of these really ghastly lines, uh, (laughs) awfully sexist lines. Uh, And so it was rightly pillared uh, by most game critics. Uh, But I feel like this game, you know, that is the worst part of it, right? Is that one moment, but the rest of the game is pretty wonderful. Um, The, the gameplay, the moment to moment action, is really intense Uh, you know having to move around this open world on your motorcycle having to worry about uh, repairing your bike uh, refilling your bike in the midst of this open world while there are zombies running about is very intense and it is kind of the open world resident evil game that i didn't know i always wanted and it, (laughs) it was really enjoyable the story is very mediocre. The dialogue is often very, very, very bad. And not just that one really terrible sexist line. Um, but I just, I thought the gameplay was amazing. And it it really made me hope that they can do a, a sequel uh, for the PS5. Eventually, we'll see. But uh, yeah, so that's what I've been playing.
1: Yeah, I don't mean to be dramatic, but you know, we as a society were too hard on Days Gone. That's what I <laughs> like. That game is really good. I agree with everything you just said, Bob. I will say, uh, the story—I—I kind I of know the mood I'm in. I feel like if you like Sons of Anarchy, and you're willing to lower your standards, like I, that sounds so harsh. But Days Gone is—it, all those games are a bit like that. Those open world games. Yeah, but I agree with everything you just said, and um, it's it's that game is good. Yeah, people should play yeah. Days Gone.
0: Yeah, they should. And uh, if you have a PS5, which is probably very few of us. Uh, But if you do have a PS5, it is available for free as part of the uh, PlayStation collection on PlayStation 5. So, um, you know, it's one of these games that I had always earmarked to buy eventually, uh, but I just never got around to it. So, you know, free was a perfect price uh, for me. And once I started playing, I, I couldn't put it down. So, again, check it out. I You know, obviously, with the proviso that these this kind of terrible writing is in it. But at the same time, the gameplay itself, I think, is pretty remarkable um, and certainly something I'd love to see more of going forward. Okay, well, I think that does it for today's episode. John, thank you so much for
1: joining me. Thanks a million, Bob. I love being on this podcast. Yeah, well, love to have you. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> audience, uh, please look forward to SIVs uh, 101 uh, coming out next month. I might also have a, a more regular episode of History Respawn if I can swing it uh, next month, I really wanna do Radio General uh, in particular. I promised to do that back early in the spring and just haven't gotten to it yet. But uh, with all that said, until next time, goodbye.